Hey friends, is God mad at me because I'm an alcoholic? The short answer, no. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you five reasons why. So God delivered me from my addiction 16 years ago and he wants to deliver you too. Number one reason, God is not mad at you. Because he knows that most likely your addiction was born out of pain or it was born out of turmoil or it was born out of dysfunction or trauma from your past. So maybe you experienced abuse or neglect. Maybe you grew up in a codependent family system. Maybe there was very poor boundaries. There could be addiction in your family like mine going back generation to generation. So, uh, you know, addictions can be learned behavior. It can be a way of coping with pain and a way of coping with trauma. Because remember that addiction, it's like a band-aid of sorts that we often turn to in order to try to soothe ourselves. But the root cause is often trauma or it could be depression. It could be an anxiety disorder, lots of things. And often those traumas can cause the emotional problem like anxiety or depression. Then we turn to an addiction to soothe it. And that's why with addiction, we say it's kind of like peeling back these layers of an onion. You know, I used to drink to soothe myself to deal with anxiety and panic attacks and low self-esteem. But here's the thing. God knows exactly where and when you've been wounded. God sees the little child, the little girl, or the little boy shut up alone in their room, or the one acting out, right? So he longs to heal you because he is your father. He wants to help you get to the root cause of this addiction. So the first step is reaching out to God, asking for help, okay? Number two, we live in a sinful world. So where did this trauma I was talking about come from? Sin. Ultimately, we live in a fallen world right? Caused by sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means it's not just you and me, <laughs> or me and you and a dog named Boo, <laughs> right? Sorry, I was a DJ for 30 years. <laughs> but every human being on this planet has fallen, fallen short of the glory of God. So step one in AA says, admitted we were powerless over our addiction or alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. So another way to look at this, okay, is admitted that we were powerless over sin, that our lives had become unmanageable, right? Then step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, God, could restore us to sanity. Step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. See, he loves us. Christ restored mankind to himself by his death on the cross. And furthermore, he says, he says, I didn't come to save the righteous. I came to save the lost. In Luke 5.32, he says, I've come to call those who, not who think that they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners and need to repent. In Matthew 9.13, he says, for I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And Mark 2.17, Jesus told them, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Does this sound like a God who's mad at you? <laughs> I reached out to God in the middle of my addiction. And as, as I mentioned, I was a DJ for a Christian radio station for heck's sakes. So I'm going to church and then I'm getting wasted. And then I'm going and playing praise music on the radio, you know, but God was right there in the middle and he was right there waiting for me when I asked for help. And he delivered me from my addiction. I've been sober for 16 years and he can do the same for you because he loves you and he wants to heal you but you have to reach out and ask him for help.
So remember that that all have fallen short. So every human being on this planet. So you're not alone. You just have a God-sized problem that you can't fix on your own. Okay? We all have those. So that is what sin did to the world. It created a God-sized problem that humans can't fix without God. None of us can. He's the fixer. So of course he's not mad at you, but we have to make God bigger than our problems. When our problems become bigger than God, that is when they can consume us. Okay. So number three, shame. The other thing that sin brought into the world is shame. So when Adam and Eve sinned, it says suddenly, right? They were naked. They realized they were naked. They became shamed. But all the way back in Genesis, this prophecy concerning Jesus began. It was already determined that God had a plan to remove your shame. See, shame attacks our identity like nothing else, right? It says that we at our core are bad. But here's the thing. If you believe that God is good, then you cannot believe that you're bad. Why? Because God created you and said it was good. And God can't create anything bad. So Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind and womankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So how can we be God? How can we be bad if we're created in God's image? So here's the thing. Shame says, it's not my behavior that's bad. It's that I'm bad. No one could love me. I am unlovable. And that's the lie of the enemy. See, God says, no, 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 wait, you have sinned. Your behavior is bad at times, but you are not bad. I created you. I love you. I'm not mad at you. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So even though he didn't sin, Jesus felt shame when he took ours on himself, when he was beaten and accused and hung naked on the cross to die. He did that to endure our shame and sin, save us from this state of decay that was sown by our earthly mother and father, Adam and Eve, whose disobedience brought that spiritual death. So shame entered the world through them. But because of Jesus, all things will be made right for those who believe in him. So uh, the Bible tells us our bodies will be made new, that there will be no more shame or pain or decay. The Bible also tells us that the first man, Adam, became a living person, and then we were to follow that, right? But it says, uh, but because of Jesus, the last man, Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Our bodies were sown as perishable. But because of Jesus, we are raised imperishable. Our bodies were sown in dishonor with sin and shame. But because of Jesus, we are now raised in glory. Our bodies were sown in weakness. But because of Jesus, we are now raised in power. We're sown a natural body. But because of Jesus, we're raised with a spiritual body. So with great compassion, he took our shame to the cross. He crucified it with himself died, rose again to free us from shame, now and forever. And he did all this because he loves us, because he loves you. So because of Jesus, shame is finished. Revelation 21.4 tells us, at the end, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor addiction. I added that part, for the former things have passed away. 
So God says you are good through him. You're made new. You're made alive. You're worthy. You're an heir. You're, you're a child. You're a chosen. So, I mean, here's an example of his love. Let's say your kid's doing something, gets into the paint, spills it all over the kitchen floor, right? You walk in, your kitchen's blue, right? Or purple. And, you know, are you angry? Yeah, you might be angry, but do you love your child any less? Do you think they're bad at their core? Of course not. That's how God sees us. It's like we're getting into the paint, okay? So are you with me? Tell me in the comment section, do you believe God can take away your sin, can take away your shame? I'd love to hear from you. Okay, number four, redemption. God's not mad at you. He wants to redeem you. So the entire Bible is a story of redemption for humans, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. People think it's a big rule book. It's not the whole Bible. It's like a series of covenants that God makes with his people. And basically the point of all these covenants is the redemption of mankind. So it is God continually saving us from ourselves, uh, saving us from our sin and drawing us back to him, right? He never breaks his covenants. We have, we break all of them. There was the one with Noah, the one with Abraham, the one with Moses and, and the one with David. And the point is that all the covenants, they, they build on each other until we see the ultimate perfect, perfect covenant with God, with all mankind, when Jesus took the sins to the cross, he fulfills all these covenants because he's the second Adam. He's the sinless human. So that means that you are redeemed through Christ. And that is where your identity comes from. So redemption is for you. Hebrews 9.15, it says that is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, between God and you, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free, to set us free from the penalty of the sins that we had committed under the first covenant. And then Isaiah 54.10 says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. And compassion is God acting on your behalf to rescue you. So he will act on your behalf to rescue you from your addiction because he loves you. Which brings me to number five, love. Love, love. The final reason God is not mad at you, he loves you. So not only is the Bible an adventurous, a dysfunctional, because humans are involved, story, but it is the greatest love story ever told, ever. It's the stuff fairy tales are made of, and many of them are made of that. And, and God loves you, and he wants what is best for you. He's not mad at you. He longs to save you, set you free from your addiction, but it's a choice. He says, I've set before you life and death, heaven and hell, choose life. He wants you to have a good life here and be supremely happy with him in the next, like it talks about in the serenity prayer. And by the way, if you want to hear the serenity prayer in its entirety uh, and also have it applied to your life, then I just invite you to watch my next video. But Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins, transgressions, addictions, 
It is by grace that you've been saved. So here's the upshot of all this. Because of the first three things I mentioned, addiction, born of trauma, sin, and shame, your addiction is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So addiction is a sin, but we're all sinful. And Jesus said, go and sin no more. When he says, I'm here to help you, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, never. So God's not mad at you. He loves you and longs to bring you healing. So I'd love to hear from you. Do you believe that God loves you and longs to rescue you? Let me know in the comments section. And if you're struggling right now, email me and uh, I'd be happy to send you my free Stay Sober resource. It's got some great pointers in it, some great resources like meeting locators, um, tips on finding a great sponsor, the difference between AA and NA and uh, Celebrate Recovery. And you can email me. It's connectwithjodystevens at yahoo.com. Thanks, friends, for being here. And don't miss my next video. Stop doing these five things if you want to stay sober. See ya.